Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. Go over to Isaiah chapter 14. You know, the scripture says that that hellfire was created... For the devil and his angels. Okay? And one of the misconceptions people have about hell is that hell is like Satan's kingdom, like where he rules. And that's not true. Hell is designed as a prison and as a place of torment for Satan himself. All right? It's not his kingdom, it's his prison. He's not there right now. Satan's not in hell. Um, we've, we've seen in previous studies how Satan is in heaven. He, there's wickedness in high places, and Satan, Satan certainly is on earth. He's not in hell today. Why would he want to be in hell? Uh, that's, a, you know, that's a false conception that people have about the, the authority of Satan. Hell is not the place where Satan rules. In fact, here in, in Isaiah chapter 14... Uh, it's descri- it describes Satan. Uh, in fact, this passage here, it's addressed to the king of Babylon, but as you read it, you see it's not talking about the human king of Babylon. There may be a few things here that, that relate to, to that human king of Babylon. But, uh, for instance, you, verse 12, as well, well known to many people, you can see who it's talking to. It says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, thou son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Now, that's a description of Satan, right? He's called there Lucifer, the light bearer. And Satan had this position as the anointed cherub. And yet, you see what he says here. He says, I will. You see all those I wills in verses 13 and 14? I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. How different between that and the Lord Jesus Christ before his crucifixion when he said, not as I will, but thy will be done. Right? Christ, where, where Christ focused on the will of God, Satan says, I will, I will, I will. And you notice that Satan does not say, I will be the opposite of God. He doesn't say, I'm going to be the exact opposite of everything God is and, and, you know, and beat him at that. What he says is, I will be like the Most High. Satan's not saying he's, he's going to be the opposite of God. He's saying he is going to be like God. You know, that's often the, the religious attitude that many people have about their works, that I will be like God. I will make myself godly. And that is a, an utterly satanic attitude to have, that I will 
be like God. That, that's what Satan said. Now, I say that to, to notice that the hell is mentioned uh, several times in this passage. Verse 9, now, so we're, we're going up before what we just read about Satan, but you see this passage is talking to Satan. And you see what it says in verse 9, Hell from beneath is moved for thee to meet thee at thy coming. By the way, this, this passage is a prophetic passage. It's addressed to Satan, but it's a prophetic passage about what's going to happen with him. When it says uh, in, in what we read there in verse 12, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? Satan has not fallen from heaven today. This is future. Okay, And in fact, the context is when Satan is cast down into hell, that's when these things are said to him. And so verse 9 says, Hell from beneath is moved for thee to meet thee at thy coming. It stirreth up the dead for thee, even all the chief ones of the earth. It hath raised up from their thrones all the kings of the nations. All they shall speak and say unto thee, Art thou also become weak as we? Art thou become like unto us? Thy pomp is brought down to the grave in the noise of thy vials. The worm is spread under thee, and the worms cover thee. You see what, what those lost kings of the nations, are saying to Satan as he's cast into hell, they're mocking him. You've become just like one of us. They, they realize they were, they were swindled by him, and they are, in a sense, I mean, if there's any kind of rejoicing in hell, they're, they're glorying in the fact that Satan's in the same situation that they are. Now again, what a, what a worldly, selfish attitude to have. That, there's the attitude of the dead in hell. They're glad to see other people in the same state they are. Not, not calling out for salvation from God or, or repenting or anything like that. They're glad to see others in the same state. And if it's somebody more powerful than them, like Satan himself, all the better. Um, you, you see it, it uh, goes on after what we read. If you come down to verse 15. So, still addressing Satan, it says, Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms, that made the world as a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof, that opened not the house of his prisoners? All the kings of the nations, even all of them, lie in glory, everyone in his own house, but thou art cast out of thy grave like an abominable branch, and as the raiment of those that are slain, thrust through with a sword that go down to the stones of the pit, as a carcass trodden under feet. Thou shalt not be joined with them in burial, because thou hast destroyed thy land, slain thy people. The seed of evildoers shall never be renowned. Now, all of that, again, there may be some application to the physical human king of, of Babylon, but it's really addressed to Satan himself, right? And you see those looking upon him, those, those people who are in hell themselves, and you see them, you know, mocking him, and, and they're glad to see that he's been brought low just like they have. And, and that's always the kind of thing that you see the attitude of these lost people in hell. Nowhere in the Bible does it describe somebody in hell that I know of. Maybe if you know of a place, you can, you can tell me. But no place that I know of does it describe somebody in hell calling out for mercy to God or, or anything like that. Um, 
if we go back to our text in Luke 16. And so you see that with the rich man there. He wants Abraham to send Lazarus, and he wants, certainly he doesn't like the torment that he's in. He wants some, some ease from that torment. He wants Lazarus to come and just even dip his finger and touch his tongue for just the, the little bit of relief that that would give him. Uh, and Abraham won't, won't do that. Now, Abraham describes some things there about that, that place of the grave. Um, first of all, he reminds him of his life in verse 25. Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. Um, you, you can imagine to, you know, there were probably uh, rich people here that were in attendance as Christ is teaching this and realize that, that there is a, you know, there is a, a message there. Uh, this passage is not primarily about the rich and the poor, but there is a message there regarding the rich and the poor, right? Abraham, the first thing he does is reminds the rich man, you had a whole life of good things and Lazarus was in torment and you didn't, you didn't do much to, all he got was crumbs, Right? And isn't it fitting here that, that now the rich man is in torment and now Lazarus is being comforted? Uh, verse 26, he says, Beside all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Now again, notice they're in the same general area. Uh, hell, by the way, is described as being in the heart of the earth. And hell is, a, is a, a spiritual place, but it still has a location. And that's where it's described as being, is in the heart of the earth. Now, if you were in the heart of the earth, you wouldn't see into heaven. It's not describing heaven and hell here, but it's describing these, these two places that at that time were in the heart of the earth. There's one side torments. The other side, there's comfort. In the middle, there's this great gulf that's fixed. And again, if you do your own study and, and take, um, take the word hell or uh, take the Hebrew word sheol and go through the Old Testament, you'll find it describes believer and unbeliever alike going to sheol. All right? Now, normally it's translated as hell when, when it's talking about the place of torment, but not always. Uh, for instance... When David prophesies of Christ and his death and burial and resurrection, and he says that his soul was not left in hell, did Jesus Christ go into torments in hell? He didn't go into that place of torment. The price that Christ paid, he paid on the cross. He didn't go then into hell and, and suffer some more and be in torments there. He went to this place that describes as Abraham's bosom. All right, still in the heart of the earth. He said he would be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And his soul was in hell, not in torment, but in the grave, in the pit. Okay? And, and he was there. He would have been in that place of comfort, as it describes where, where Lazarus is here. Now, it describes the great gulf between the two. And I'll tell you what I believe that great gulf to be. In, in many passages of Scripture, it describes an abyss that it also calls the bottomless pit. And that is where, be, before 
before uh, Satan, as we talked about those prophetic events. Remember in the, the millennial kingdom, it talks about Satan being bound. And where is he bound? He's bound in the bottomless pit. And that's the place that Isaiah 14 was describing. It described the, the dead being in the sides of the pit, but it described Satan being there where all of them could see him. He, that place, that great gulf, is where Satan is cast and bound there, and it's during that time that those dead are looking upon him and, and saying those kinds of things we read there in Isaiah 14. And uh, he, he's bound there for a thousand years before he's eventually thrown into the lake of fire. And don't equate in your mind hell and the lake of fire. They're, they're different places. Uh, and in fact, in our, in our study on Bible prophecy, we saw at the end, after that great white throne judgment, hell is cast into the lake of fire. Now, hell is still, a, there's a place of torment in hell, but hell is a temporary thing. The lake of fire is an eternal thing. And so when some people say that hell is temporary, that's true. Hell itself, the specific place of, of hell, is a temporary place. But there's an eternal place of torment as well. It's just called the lake of fire. And hell is cast into there. And, and so there's this great gulf fixed there between the place of torment and the place of comfort. And it's not even possible to go from one place to the other. Abraham says they can't pass. You know, Lazarus or, or the rich man can't walk across into the place of comfort, and Lazarus can't walk across into the, the place of torment. There's this great gulf, and, and you, can't, you can't go across it. Um, now, you do see, you do see from this rich man, you do see a concern for his family members. He doesn't want to see his family come to this same place where he's at. He, he you know, certainly is experiencing torment, and just out of that, that family love that he has for them, uh, he doesn't want his brothers to wind up where he's at. He asks if Lazarus could go and warn them about this place. And Abraham's response is that they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. They've got the word of God. Uh, he's, he's essentially saying they're without excuse. They need to... God's already given him his word. He does, they don't need some additional thing. Uh, they've got the word of God, and they need to believe what the word of God says. And, you know, keep, keep that in mind today. You know, you, you read these stories um, about people who either claim to have a dream of hell, and they believe it's a, a vision from God, or people even who have claimed to have died on a uh, you know on an operating table and come back and describe hell and then you got other people who, who describe heaven um, according to a passage like this that's not really what's what's going on there right because here I mean that's what that's what the rich man's asking for he's asking for Lazarus to be able to go back and warn about this place and Abraham says no they've got they've got the law and the prophets. They've got Moses and the prophets. And, uh, you know, the, realize the scripture says it's given unto men once to die and after this the judgment. And when somebody claims that they died on an operating table and were brought back, whatever the medical definition of dead is, that's not the biblical definition of dead. They weren't dead. They weren't dead and brought back. 
Maybe their heart stopped, maybe brain activity stopped, maybe whatever, but they weren't dead in the physical sense, or dead in the biblical sense, I mean. Um, you know, dead, dead is that, that separation between the soul and the spirit. And, and there are people, certainly in the Bible, who were raised from the dead by the power of God. But, uh, but you see here, they're not able to go and, and, you know, describe what hell is like and, and that kind of thing. Um, Abraham here says that, that uh, God's not going to do that. Um, and, and so, you know, he warns him that the word of God is the authority in these things. And if somebody won't believe that, they aren't going to believe even if somebody rose from the dead. And that's what's going on in these denials of the existence of hell or the denials of the, the eternal nature of this torment for unbelievers is it's a denial of the word of God. Because as the, as the Bible describes these things, and as the Bible describes the, the torment, again, that torment of hell would just be a, you know, a temporary thing, but it, it's replaced by the torment of the lake of fire, and it describes it as everlasting. Now, again, the words of Scripture never, never present any great barrier to the critics of Scripture. They just claim it's mistranslated, right? That's always that's why if you want to teach some new teaching out of the Scripture, you just claim it's mistranslated. And so they say it's not everlasting. It's just, it's age-lasting. Because the Greek word that's used is a form of the word aeon, which means an age. And so they say it's just age-lasting. Well, it's age-lasting, but it, it's age-lasting through all future ages, Right? That's why the, that's why the word is used. Uh, it's used through all future ages. And the problem with retranslating it is realize the same words that are used of eternal torment are used of eternal life. And so people always want to believe that the life lasts forever, but the torment just lasts for an age. But you can't have it both ways. If the life lasts forever, the torment has to last forever as well. You find not a single word of scripture about the devil eventually coming to reconciliation with God. You find not a single word of scripture about um, the unbelieving dead coming to reconciliation with God. It is a place of eternal torment. We have this lifetime, we have this lifetime to, in which to, to hear the gospel and believe the gospel. And after that, there is no second chance. Um, what, what the man is asking for here, in a sense, is he's asking for, a, in a sense, a second chance for his brothers. He obviously knows his brothers are unbelievers, right? He seems pretty certain his brothers are going to be where he's at when they die. And he wants to warn them about it, but the thing is, they already have all the warning they need, and you already have all the warning you need in the Word of God. By the way, as I described this, you know, these two places there in hell. Today, when a believer physically dies, you don't go down into that place of comfort in the heart of the earth where Lazarus and Abraham were. There's a change that's taken place. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. That place that is described as Abraham's bosom in... in uh, Luke 16, and, and all that means, you know, Abraham is there, and, there, you know, Abraham seems to be the one in authority there in that place, and uh, they're there being, being comforted and, and sharing in the rest of, of Abraham there, those, 
those uh, believers, like Lazarus. Um, that place is also referred to in Scripture as paradise. I mentioned how the Scripture said that Christ would be in hell. Uh, it says his soul was not left in hell, neither did his, his uh, flesh see corruption. Um, where Christ's soul was in those three days between his death and his resurrection was in that place of hell in the sense of the grave or the pit, but he was in that place of comfort, all right? Now, if you remember when Christ was on the cross, and you remember the thieves that were crucified with him, and there was a thief that that believed on him, and what did he say to him? He said, this day shalt thou be with me in paradise, Now, where was Christ going that day, before that day was over? And where was that believing thief going to go as well before that day was over? They were going to go into the grave, into into that place of of Sheol or Hades in in the Greek. And they were going to be there sharing in that comfort and rest of Abraham. And so he refers to that place there as paradise, right? So where was paradise um, on that day when Christ was, was crucified, it wasn't in heaven, it was in the heart of the earth, right? But notice here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, um, the, the Apostle Paul is describing a man here, some think he's describing himself. Uh, anyway, he's describing a, an experience that he had where he doesn't even know whether he was physically in his body or not. In verse 3, he says, I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Now, when we go from Luke 16 to 2 Corinthians 12, we're moving from before the, the resurrection to after the resurrection. And what you find are are numerous passages in Scripture, we don't have time to go to all of them today, that describe how that place of the believing dead, with the resurrection of Christ, the place of the believing dead changes. And they're no longer held in that place in the heart of the earth, in in comfort there, but rather are taken to heaven. And, And every time the believing dead are described, After the resurrection of Christ, they are described as being in heaven. And so if, if, you know, if we're not here to see that catching up and we experience physical death, where our soul is going to go is not to the place where Lazarus' soul went. We're not going to see the rich man and, and those unbelieving dead across the great gulf in torments there, but rather we'll go into the presence of the Lord in heaven. And uh, so, so, you know, there's been some changes. That's why it's important to pay attention to those kinds of changes in the Scripture so you don't get confused. But, but uh, suffice it to say that y- you can't believe, for, for a pastor to go on television and say he believes absolutely in heaven, but not in hell. My question would be, on what authority does he believe in heaven? Why does he believe there's a heaven? Ultimately, what somebody like that is doing is they're just taking what they want to be true and they are attributing it to the scriptures or or finding some way around the scriptures to prove what they want to be true. 
The only thing we know, the only way we know anything about these things is because we have a book that's written. Now, we have more of a book that was written than what what uh, the rich man's brothers had. They had Moses and the prophets. We've got Moses and the prophets and the completed word of God. So we have even less excuse than they have because we've got more testimony of God's word than what they had. And that's the only way we know about these things. You can't, you can't get on a, on a rocket and go to heaven and you can't dig down in the earth and go to hell. Right? It's not something you can experiment with and, and, you know, see if this place really exists. You either take it on the authority of God's word or you basically have no, no, no foundation on which to believe. And we all, we all have to resist that tendency that everybody has. We take things we want to be true and try and impose them on God's word instead of reading the things that are God's word and desiring the things that God desires. You know, the eternal torment of the lost plays a part in God's eternal plan. And that, you know, certainly in our flesh, some of that may be hard to understand. But you realize that we're not going to be in heaven for eternity all distraught about what's going on in the lake of fire. God, it, it plays a part in God's plan, and, and our part is just to submit ourselves to that. Whether we understand it, whether we like it, whether we, whether we want it to be true or not, God's word is the authority, and my, my feelings about it are not the authority. And... Um, Again, you know, as you go through the scripture, you don't, you don't find those unbelieving dead coming to faith and, and believing and, and seeking reconciliation with God. What you see is them for all eternity continuing on in their sin, um, continuing with just that, that focus on themselves. And uh, that's, it describes in, um, in uh, several places in the Old Testament that place as a place that says where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. And that's how that word worm is how it describes the soul of the unbeliever. It's a, it's a worm. You know, the interesting thing about that, though, is when you read in the Psalms and it prophesies the crucifixion of Christ, you know what Christ says on the cross of Calvary? He says, I am a worm and no man. You know, Christ more than offered his body as a sacrifice for sin. It says he, he offered his soul as a sacrifice for sin. And you realize that Christ became so identified with our sin that he became like that lost soul in hell with all that guilt and shame and sin. That's what Christ became on the cross of Calvary. He says, I am a worm and no man. And he suffered in those hours. He suffered the the equivalent of hell itself and of the lake of fire itself. He suffered the judgment of God for sin. And if there's, if there's anything that's, that's sad about eternal torment, it's that anybody chooses to go there. Because there's a price that's been paid and there's a, a, a message of good news and there's a free gift available in Christ. Let's close with prayer, Lord God. We thank you for your word. We just uh, thank you for these things that we're not we're not left to to just 
try and, try and uh, figure out what we want to be true, but that you've given us these things in your word as, a, as an authority. And we thank you for the salvation that's available in Christ. We pray that we'd be diligent to make that message known. Um, we, we pray that we would endeavor that uh, there wouldn't be anybody that we come into contact with that, that wouldn't have heard the message of your grace and know the salvation that's available in Christ. And uh, we, we just thank you for that. I pray for any here who have not received that salvation, that uh, they would understand the reality of what they face and the, and the peril that they are in. And we just, we just thank you that you've delivered us from all of that through your Son. And we thank you in his name. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.